Well, it's work is what it is. What's so important for students, once again, to understand, and from my experience, is that as a design profession, we're really good at exposing our work through so many different awards and magazines and blogs and news. There are a lot of avenues for exposure that a lot of other professions do not have. Jennifer Morla is president and creative director of Morla Design in San Francisco. With over 300 awards of excellence, she has been recognized by virtually every organization in the field of visual communication. She is the recipient of Design's most honored awards, the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian National Design Award and the AIGA Medal. Morla's work is part of the permanent collections of the Museum of Modern Art, the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Smithsonian Museum of American Art, the Denver Art Museum, and the Library of Congress, and has been honored with solo design exhibitions at both San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and the DDD Gallery in Japan, as well as had featured articles in Graffiti, Communication Arts, IDEA Japan, and many others. Morla's clients include Levi Strauss & Company, Apple, Stanford University, Herman Miller, Williams-Sonoma, Wells Fargo Bank, Design Within Reach, and that's just to name a few. Originally from Manhattan, she received a conceptual art education at the Harvard Art School, University of Harvard, and her BFA in Graphic Design from Massachusetts College of Art in Boston. She lectures and judges internationally, is an adjunct professor teaching senior-level design at California College of the Arts, is an AIGA fellow, served on the National Board of AIGA and the Architecture and Design Accessions Board at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. We hope you enjoy this episode as we sit down and talk with Jennifer Morla. Again, I'd like to say welcome to another episode of Design Dedux Podcast, where we are creating success in design and education. Today with us uh, is Mandy Horton, and I, I pause for a minute because I'm like, boy, I, I just always keep introducing Mandy. It's like you should just be like a staple on my <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, and of course, we're continuing that discussion on redesigning her story. And today we are going to be talking to Jennifer Morella. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm going to uh, interrupt you right now. It's yes. Jennifer Morla. Morla. <laughs> I, have, I have this awful last name pronunciation problem. All of my students are known by first name only. My students are known just by their projects. So <laughs> you can <laughs> me on that. Oh, that, that's great. I'm going to let them know that. So I, I'll be like, all right, I got this. So um, yeah, they're just known as the student. Um, Morla, am I saying it right now? How easy is it, right? It's right there. M-O-R-L-A, Morla. That, yeah, I could mess up Smith, I think. <laughs> Well, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you can so you much. Um, can you give us a little background on yourself and uh, kind of what led you into design and what you've been doing with uh, your career? Yeah, so I grew up in New York City in Manhattan, which really influenced me as a designer in numerous ways. Um, some early thoughts were um, I loved going to the Guggenheim Museum because it was such modern architecture. And unlike any other museum in the city, um, architecturally, and what nine-year-old, I was nine years old at the time, doesn't love spiraling down the ramp, you know? So this was this interaction of, 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 a, of a, a child interacting with architecture. And it was so modern and such a masterpiece. It was white, it was curvaceous, it was contemporary, and it was an irresistible combination for, I guess, me being a budding modernist. Yeah. So that can, was, I ask, can I ask you a question about going down mm -hmm. the Guggenheim? Yeah. Is it correct that you're supposed to experience from the top floor to the bottom floor? That's, I believe that is correct. So at nine years old, you had it right. And everyone else that goes in seems to be going back. Oh, no, I think that Frank Lloyd Wright had it right, which was intuitive to go down. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, so you had the elevator going up and then you're going down. So it was, that was, that was a uh, influence. My mother was an art history major. So she would also take oh. up to, um, to the Museum of Modern Art. And her favorite painting was Matisse's Goldfish. So um, she loved Impressionist typical of, of, of her era. And she, um, so we would go look at it and I loved the colors. And then we would just wander off in another part of the museum and we wandered off into the design and architecture wing. And I was also young then, probably about, I don't know, 11 or 12. 
and I um, I saw the plates that we had breakfast on every morning, the Russell Wright plates. And I said, you know, oh my God, we had to- we have toast on these plates every morning. And then I saw the um, the 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 Braun um, record player by Dieter Rams and the the posters by Rochenko and the the stale chair. And all of a sudden, I realized that there was design, and design had history, and it was that everyday objects were designed objects. And it, you know, I thought at that point prior to that visit that I would be an artist when I grew up, but at that juncture, I knew I'd be a designer. Um, I was sort of, I think, actually a story of being a a girl um, was that I was, from an early age, I could draw. You know, I could basically make a vase look like a vase. Um, And I was nurtured in that way, actually, by my parents. Um, You know, they took me to the art, they wanted to go to the Art Students League, um, you know, took art classes, you know, uh, went to art school, you know, it's actually design school. I went to Harvard Art School for two years, studied conceptual art, and then got my degree in graphic design from Mass Art in Boston. But I think that I was allowed to sort of pursue that avenue of education for myself because I was a girl. I think that if I was a boy, I would have been, my father being fairly conservative, probably would have said, no, you need to be, you know, architect or engineer or something, you know, something that is borderline creative, you know, not borderline, our yeah, creative, right, right. but really not let me sort of go down that path. <laughs> that said, I also had um, an aunt who was an editor at Condé Nast. Oh. And, um, and that was very influential, me being young and going, uh, she would do, uh, uh, do photo shoots every so often. And my sister and I were young and we'd be a part of the photo shoot once or twice, not really nothing big at all, really sort of teen photo shoots. But going into these offices and seeing the brewer chairs and, you know, the white formica and the Irving Penn photos on a light box, and then going into the art department and seeing, you know, the hundreds of of, um, magic markers, you know, on a carousel on the art department table and all these women, all these women were in a magazine and it was nearly exclusively women actually and that was another really big influence I mean not you know not consciously at that time but there was a love there there's something here that you know um uh really sort of resonated with me and that's why I really believe in it you know that at a young age I think you know nine ten you can start really introducing design to, you know, students or whatever their passions, just give them exposure yeah. as, as much as the arts, unfortunately, in you know, many public school systems, just as non-existent. And so I think that's also part of our role as, you know, design mentors to, to try and um, uh, navigate ways in order to get our younger population aware of the opportunities um, that could be afforded to them. Uh, so, Anyway, so prior to that visit, I knew, you know, as I said, from the, from the museum that I would be a designer. And then I moved to San Francisco right after, right after school. Um, and my first job was for PBS. What was very interesting at the local station KQED, and I was, I was uh, uh, worked there for a couple of years as a senior designer. And one of the best parts about it was that it was 1978 and was really the birth of computer graphics. Um, and television was the first um, uh, uh, arena, really, where the Quantel paint box system, which is what it's called at the time, which was the precursor to, you know, our our Mac platform. Um, and we were able to, I was able to edit uh, and uh, do 30-second openings with type, with, um, with live action, with animation. That was just never um, possible before. And sound. So... It's, you know, as a part of, a de- of our design vocabulary now, we all work with all of those things all the time, not only for specific interactive or video projects, but even when we're presenting um, uh, identities. You know, we nearly always animate those in some way, but that experience was really core to also me developing as a designer and understanding that, although I consider myself a relative Luddite in terms of <laughs> my computer skills, because I'm also from that era <laughs> where it wasn't really a part of what my education was growing up as a, as a designer. Um, uh, after a few years there, I became art director of Levi Strauss, which sounds like a really 
which was an amazing job, paid nothing, amazing job. It was great. <laughs> and, um, then, you know, I was working for an iconic brand and doing their posters and labeling and identities. And it was, it was what, fantastic. Uh, what year was that around? Uh, I started there? there, I think, in 81, and then I left in 84. Okay. When I started my studio, so I was 28, and I opened up Marla Design when I was 28 years old. Um, with I had a very good relationship with a lot of people at Levi's, and I, you know, I was able to uh, work with a lot of the people I met, the presidents of the divisions, and and um, nurture a continual relationship for over 20 years. Bob Haas, actually, I did the um, the. Uh, uh, Levi's 501 Jeans book, and that was just, you know, a relationship that was really wonderful with Levi's. I've been very lucky to have some very great clients that don't tell you the solution but give you the problem. Um, and uh, my office has gone from 18, 20 people to where I am now with myself and my assistant designer, uh, Raimundo, who is um, actually a student of mine at CCA and uh, one of the really big perks, I think, about being um, a, a professor is that you're able to um, also hopefully get some of the students to, to work with you and, and it's been a wonderful relationship. So the type of projects that I'm working on now, I mean, I work on a variety of different projects in a variety of, with a variety of different clients in a variety of different mediums. Um, I don't take on a lot at this point, but uh, for example, I recently finished doing the um, signage for the San Jose Museum of Art. Um, they're rethinking their branding and how that could be um, uh, manifested in very large scale signage. It's um, uh, each San Jose Museum of Art is spelled out in letters. Each letter is out of uh, extruded steel, and extruded aluminum, and it, um, they're four feet tall and about 20 feet long. So it's a really impressive um, entrance to the museum that was created. Uh, another thing that I'm doing is a poster series for Stanford, um, which is on their Center for the Study of the Novel. And they allow me to take a very conceptual approach. I did their website also and their posters. They do six, um, uh, uh, six lectures a year. And that's really wonderful. And they're very different every year. And purposely, I sort of do them differently every year. And that's nice to think about how to engage um, a viewer and a student. This is a postdoc class. So it's sort of oftentimes a little above my head when I consider myself a good reader. And then I see their list. It's like, wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh how to engage and um, an audience for six lectures. You know, you always have a lot during the first, you know, the first few, and then it can sort of um, uh, wane. So that's part of our job as a designer to keep, um, to think about ways to engage our audience in a, in a, in a um, constant manner. Uh, let's see, what else am I working on? Uh, oh, and then I'm just on another, I'm doing, um, redoing the whole look and feel for the largest nursery actually so the plant nursery in the country which is what designer doesn't love to work with beautiful plants and flowers and not love about yeah. design, designing in nature and with nature so that's a really great project wow oh, that's great. exciting yeah so you actually mentioned to us that you had you spent 23 years teaching at the california college of arts um, mm -hmm. can you tell us just a little bit about your time there and the nature of the courses you taught while you were there yeah, I mostly taught um, senior level design. Um, so, and that being, it was usually, I constructed a 16 week uh, single assignment um, uh, class. Uh, usually the student, that the student would be self-motivated in order to create um, that 16 week uh, solution. But I um, encourage the students to be conceptual in their intent, but pragmatic in their application. And I think that's what being a designer is. You know, you come in with a conceptual way of approaching a problem, a new way, a completely different way. And then you actually um, think about the, uh, the um, pragmatism of how it needs to be applied and what, the, um, uh, what it needs to solve. So the assignment um, I give my students is also a system that I abide with my own work and I break it down to research, which is, you know, the gathering of information. Um, and 
encourage them to be really um, uh, aware of what is editorial content uh, versus factual content. Right. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a very, you know, slippery slope right now. Um, less so when I was going to school and more so now that information is uh, uh, still accessible online. Uh, and once you go ahead and you're going through this research, it's important to then analyze that research and how is this research in service to your problem? You know, you can go down a whole slippery slope of, of, or, of a rabbit hole of like, you know, getting into one. Is this really where, is this really solving your problem here? So you have to sort right. of analyze your research nearly on a consistent basis. But that's, you know, that's your, that's your, you have to give yourself stopping points. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a, that's a hard thing to, 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 to do, honestly. But you do, you just say, okay, at this point, you know, here's, you know, three weeks, I'm going to allow myself three weeks to do that research. Now I have to analyze it and now determine how does this research inform the problem. And then you have to go through the rigor of examining what medium is um, the right medium for your solution. And that doesn't mean, well, oh, okay, it's going to be a video or a movie. It's like, well, why would it be that? So a movie, for example... Yeah. Um, is completely, you have a captive audience and it's a completely linear format. Um, there is a beginning, middle, and end, and that's it. You, you can right. look through it. You always have to start at the beginning and you, you pretty much, unless if you're, you know, sort of on the screen that you can do that. But in yeah. general, that's the way that works. So what medium would be appropriate to um, to what your, your, your problem is and actually investigate each one of those mediums. And then you have to create, then you have to figure out what ideas would be appropriate for those meetings and how do those ideas play into the research that you had? Um, so the mediums could be video, it could be performance, it could be installation, it could be interactive experience, it could be a book, it could be just a sound piece, you know, so each one of these mediums need to need to actually be not only appropriate, but then I challenge both myself and my students to say, now, what if I just want to express the solution solely in type? or solely right. black and white, <laughs> yeah. or solely just in sound. <laughs> so, you know, go through those. D- don't, don't shortcut design, the process of design, because um, you're shortcutting really um, your, your creativity and really the best solution. So that's uh, what I'm trying I couldn't agree more. I've always found myself challenged with confidence in the validity of the research, even when it comes from great marketing resources, you know, I've always found myself going, well, if they say so, you know, I, I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, marketing. You know, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Did you find that students struggled with any particular part of that process? Well, I think they go down that rabbit hole of research and then they forget what that problem is. I think that's the one. They don't. I think that it is easier for more mature students, like second degree students, uh, to come up with ideas. I think the older you are, the easier ideas come because you have more reference material. Right. <laughs> right, up right. here, you have more reference material, your experience, you have more experiential material. Um, so I think that's that's a challenge, you know, to, to students. Um, I think, uh, I hope that they have joy. I mean, the best part really is sort of the making part. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. really the time where everything's coming together. Um, and I, I encourage them if, if, if you don't have a certain skill set, but that the solution really demands something, then you go ahead and collaborate with somebody who has that skill set because yeah. you, really, you know, that's, uh, you know, that, well, that's that, real world. Yeah. And that idea always seems taboo to them. Cause I've, yeah. I, I talked to them about that in, in their classes and they're like, but then it's not my work. And I'm like, well, well I, mean, I encourage them. I mean, I think that everything, you know, I like never use stock photography, you know, always create your own, um, your own visuals, but there's certain sort of manufacturing criteria that let's say if you're doing an installation, really, you know, maybe you, you, you team up with a, with a, you know, woodshop person in order to know, you know, right, to, right. You know you know, because it's 16 weeks and it's not two years. And what I love about a semester class is that it's very typical of a lot of design. I, I would say the majority of my projects are about 16 weeks. Wow. Nearly all, yeah. nearly all of them, honestly, um, can be accomplished in that time. At least the design portion of it, maybe the actual production part, whether that's printing or editing or whatever might take on top of that. But the actual sort right. of design part 
is 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 within that this it's a typical time frame. I also encourage students like I do um, to uh, to do to actually do all the design yourself. I think there was a certain time, and I'm not sure whether it's true now since I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but where in certain offices you would do the design and then you'd hand it off. This is more agencies where you would hand it off to the production artist and they would go ahead and oh, right. you know, do that. And right. I, I never subscribed to that because I think um, accidents produce the best solutions. Right. And only you as a designer can realize what's an accident and what was intent. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Uh, you know, I remember a project that I worked on um, many years ago. When, matter of fact, I think it was when Photoshop, you know, V1, you know, 1.0 came out. And uh, I asked um, a designer office, okay, scan this photo and I'll work on it tomorrow morning. And the, I expected it to be a continuous tone scan, point, you know, to receive and it was all pixelated. And it was for a museum uh, lecture actually called The Radical Response, which I, I actually named. And then I realized that that was exactly right because these pixels back in, this is 90, 1991, were exactly a radical response. I mean, this was when it was a design, it was, it was designers talking about design. It was like, there, that's perfect. So, you know, it worked perfectly for that solution. But if I had just handed it off to somebody else, it would not have been the right, you know, it would not have been, I think, as successful as it was. Right. You right. That's really interesting. Yeah. Have that breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. Um, you also have a few pieces included in the Cooper Hewitt Design Museum. Can you tell us a little bit about how they came to be part of that collection? Um, well, in 2017, I was awarded the um, uh, Cooper Hewitt um, Design Award, National Design Award for Communication. And it is a, such an honor to get that. It's really, it's humbling in so many different ways. Um, and I think actually, one of the reasons I may have gotten it was that um, I'm constantly examining the design vocabulary for any given audience and looking for new ways to surprise and inform the viewer. And I'm hoping that the work um, that I presented actually had that, um, that uh, created that, that sort of uh, experience with the judges. Um, so I think the jury may have seen that evidenced in my work and, as the recipient of that award, you um, they do collect and assess um, some of your work for um, the Cooper Hewitt Museum, which is just amazing. I think it's an amazing award. I actually did judge that award back many years before that. And it is a very interesting judging process because um, you have an architect, an interior designer, a landscape designer, product designer, interactive web designer, graphic designer, Missing anybody here? At least those disciplines, all looking at the work, and it's it's interesting because as a graphic designer, we often um, uh, uh, go through all those different doors. We we touch all those different professions either through collaboration or through the manifestation of what is the best solution for that work. Whereas. Oh, fashion design. That was the other one. Fashion design. Right. So, for example, a fashion designer may not have that um, that that uh, uh, intersection with those other disciplines, perhaps as much as a graphic designer does. So, I felt very honored to be a part of that jury and really see that um, in a unique way. Yeah. So you got to be part of a jury before you you got awarded. That's before, interesting yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not um, a bad that's not a bad way to go about that. You kind of can see well. Uh, and the thing I let students know, every jury is different. So, you know, I've mentioned to them to inter, to enter work into competitions and they're like, well, we entered that last year and it didn't go so well. And I'm like, well, there's different jurors this year <laughs> and they have different opinions and different ideas on what success is. So you can't okay. judge not getting into a, um, a juried competition. You know, well, you are so right that. about that, and you should always encourage students that way, too, because I have to say, I was with Paula Cher. We're both a member of Alliance Graphic Internationale, AGI, and um, this was, uh, let's see, I had submitted, it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult submission for the Cooper Hewitt. You have to do a lot of work, and um, there's not much time to do that work. I think you're given four weeks, pretty oh, much, wow. to put together a lot of work. Um 
and to specific criteria. And I had entered it two times before and I was saying to Paula, you know, it's just not very, you know, it's really just too much. You have to do it. I think she said, I think I tried, you know, whatever, four times on, on the fifth time I got it. Andy Cocker, landscape architects, and my seventh time was the, was the, <laughs> so it was really heartening to hear these other, you know, super talented design professionals who have come through the same angst. Um, that I didn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the third time was the charm for me. So that was. Well, that's, uh, that's really good advice. Yeah. You, you still face those same anxieties of that submission process and the stress of it. Yeah. It, it's right. well, it's work is what it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's I've work. Got, but I have to let me just interject. I think what's so important for students once again to understand, and, and once again from my experience, is that as a design profession, we're really good at exposing our work through so many different, you know, um, awards and 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 um, uh, magazines and you know blogs and news whatever. There are a lot of avenues for exposure that a lot of other professions do not have. So you know when you know early on. You know, I remember creating a logo when I was at, you know, PBS and I sent it. It's like, wow, I, you know, broadcast disaster. I got, you know, I got this. Wow, that's great. And they, they, you know, showed it to thousands of people at this big banquet. And it was like, you know, that's the way you're launching your career. So you have to put yourself out there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the collection now on my other screen. And I, I, I hesitate when I say I have a favorite out of the collection because <laughs> yeah, Mandy's laughing at me because I always tell students I don't have favorites. So yeah. it's, it's, it, I hesitate to say that I have a favorite, but I have one I gravitate to. Does that get me out of the, out of the loophole uh, or, or give me a loophole? Um, but students seem to definitely gravitate to, to one work I see a lot of, right? Cause um, I have my students do journal entries every week in every course that I teach. Whether it's graphics one, graphics two, three, type, whatever, whatever that might be, and I have um, names that are relative to the area of study that we're studying in the class. Uh-huh. And every week, go through the list. I don't, I don't mind who you pick. Uh-huh. Pick somebody and and do a journal entry on it. And so after their years of their undergraduate study, they've got this little journal of all these inspirations. So there's one piece that continually that I see a lot of. Um, uh-huh. What do you think most people recognize um, you for with your work? And what would you like to be recognized for? And then I'll, I'll, I'll come back to the other part of that question in a minute. And, well, then you, and then you have to let me know if you want me to tell you which one that uh, I'm using as a loophole, as one I gravitate to. <laughs> well, once again, I think a lot of it is the exposure a certain piece has. So that's... You know, that's important. That's a very good point. Um, I'm guessing probably what you're thinking is the Mexican Museum. Um, oh, you can read that. my mind. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, it was such a great um, institution to work for. And, you know, you always look for opportunities. I tell students, you know, it's best to get a client where you're uh, making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, don't don't gravitate towards clients that already have beautiful work because they find a wonderful designer to do beautiful work for them. Yeah. Um, but instead, in a way, you know, where there's opportunity, where you can just see the opportunity just staring at you, and you're just like, I, I know what I would do. And one of the first things I did it was the Mexican Museum is like I use Spanish. <laughs> it's a museum, yeah. so that was that was to me, fairly obvious because we wanted to um, connect with the community. The museum was not in um, a, la- uh, a, a Latina, Latina community. It was actually sort of by the waterfront. And we wanted to engage more with a younger audience and talk about the breadth of the collection in a way. So what that poster, that image is a poster, uh, is a Vende uh, uh, portrait of Frida Kahlo that is a part of their collection. So I could have just taken, you know, what I could have taken a, a, a photograph or taken an image of an actual Frida Kahlo painting, <laughs> or um, I could have used the photograph, a beautiful photograph that that was taken from of her, but that's talking about her. <laughs> 
And what we really wanted to do was talk about the institution in some way and its relevance. So by, by posterizing, by doing that Ben Day portrait, it turned Frida into a more contemporary um, visual in a way. And it, she wasn't, the image wasn't burdened, not, you know, with, 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 with Frida-ness necessarily, but also from a, a, a recognizable stance. And then the other parts of the piece, the, the woodblock type, which was, um, I actually researched um, and found turn of the century woodblock type, and then put a lot of that together, sort of cut and pasted it. This was cut and paste time still. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I was curious on how those were executed in there. The Bende, the Bende portrait was, was I did that on the computer. Oh, I had somebody help me do it on the computer. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the actual type, actually, we scanned in and then did it that oh, way. For okay. that. Um, the portrait of Our Lady of Guadalupe, all scanned. The Lotteria ticket, the um, polka dot background, all those have references to sort of the vernacular of, of, of a place and of a, of a community. Um, so that's what I tried to, um, to create this, this, uh, collage of, uh, to speak. Yeah. About, it's such about a, institution. A, a visually interesting composition. Uh, the color, um, uh, the color palette uh-huh. is, is so intriguing and interesting as well. It just, it, it just, uh, it commands your attention. Well, and that's, you know, posters are absolutely such a wonderful medium for so many different reasons. Um, First of all, once again, design must surprise and educate. That's what you're trying to do. (laughs) So you have to grab a person's attention or else what's the use? Right. Um, And a poster is is especially wonderful because it lives um, oftentimes beyond the, um, the institution. The institution could be gone. It lives beyond an event. And... Very often, if you're lucky, it actually is taken into a person's home where it lives sort of indefinitely. So there's very few mediums that allow that sort of permanence and that relationship. And so I'm a big proponent of posters in that way because because of that. Um, You know, and then, of course, you have the scale of the posters. Selfishly, can you still acquire that poster? Can I find that somewhere as a purchase? Oh, yeah. That's I, sad. I think there's, um, <laughs> there's, and we're That's that many sad. printed, you know, I think really? it was maybe yeah. a thousand printed max. And wow. this is, what, what year is it? 93. We'll do a, we'll do a Kickstarter to uh, do reprints. <laughs> you couldn't find it in my book though. You can see it all. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, so that being your most well-known piece, um, what do you think about notoriety? Uh, is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it oh, dangerous? Not, oh, notoriety, right. Notoriety sort of the design profession and how, yeah. how right. you know, yeah. um, I, you know, I do think notoriety in a way is, is, is important. So in, in, let me give you an example, you know, let's take Milton Glaser for for example, you know, and, and why, why is why is there notoriety behind Milton Glacier? Why does the general public even know Milton Glacier? Let's let's take it from right, there. Right. And um, I don't think that he would have been as world renowned if his work was limited to the I Love New York logo. You know, but what really um, I think captured the world in his, the world as audience in his work was that when he did the Dylan post, the Dylan insert into into the, every dorm room had that Dylan poster. I mean, we all had it on our walls. It was, it just spoke to us. It was of the time. It was beautiful. And, and, and then you go and he does, you know, decades later does New York magazine and redefines really the way magazines look and how type, uh, you know, in editorial content looks and the, um, the importance of type and layout um, to, 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 um, to, to reading the content. And so uh, it's sort of that amalgam of here's this I Love New York logo and you have the Dylan poster and you have New York magazine. And it's the, you know, that's why he's, that's why he's famous, you know, mm-hmm. because right. because because of, of of his breadth of of unique ways of approaching so many different problems. So I I, I believe that that's important. It really 
right. really to have that. So um, I know personally that um, I begin each project by challenging myself. You know, A, how can I design smarter? How can I design more truthfully? And how can I design less wastefully? I think that's that should be the backbone of the beginning of any project. And then how can you create a compelling visual um, that can touch people's lives in a meaningful way? And I think that's what Milton did. He touched mm-hmm. lives in a meaningful way. I think that's how you get to be famous as a designer. So it's not yeah. because you're touting your horn. It's because you have touched people's lives in a meaningful way that resonates with them. So in a way, you're talking a little bit about authorship and responsibility mm-hmm. as a designer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really important to um, to keep in mind as young designers are looking at, so let's say they're going through those journals that I'm having them them work through, and they just are overwhelmed with that fame and that notoriety of the designer. And, you know, they, they should ask themselves about the authorship of that designer. What what were they doing that that voice that they had that makes them well-known? Is it just the work or is there a lot more behind it? So I think that's a great way to look at that. I totally yeah. agree. I think another interesting thing for students to do is to actually break down why they like something. Right. And I, I, I was yeah. that was something I was taught in school, and a lot of people sort of, oh, I don't want to copy, you know. So, was, yeah, copy exactly. So, you know exactly what are those elements, and why do those elements appeal to you? So, okay, what typeface is it? What size is that type? What is that color palette? And look at that color palette. What is it trying to say? What is the reference that they're they're going to? So, really, you know, that is you could just do two weeks of literally copying something exactly and totally understanding then what was it, what was the designer's intent so it's not a, then you won't appropriate design you know right. there's you know plagiarism right. that's you know that it, it's it's tempting because you see something oh i want to do that but mm-hmm. really if right. you understand why the designer did it that gives you the toolbox to go ahead and make it your own definitely yep and there's there's great designers that are very uh that have a lot of notoriety that do have done that Right. right, but they understand what's behind the work. Right, right. Yeah, I think you know. I don't think any design is completely original. We just oh, right. off of, we work off of, of whatever has been done in the past, and then hopefully put our mark on it, and you know, bring it to that next level. You know, that that's 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 progress. <laughs> well, that's that's right in the name of the podcast, actually. Yeah. Design Dedux and Dedux stands for derived. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Excellent. I love it, Mandy. Okay, so um, I'm hearing all the time from design educators, and I've been experiencing this in my classroom myself, is that we're seeing more and more female students dominate male students in terms of numbers in the classroom. And I was wondering if you're starting to see a shift like that happening in in the professional world as well? Well, I guess my, you know, for the 23 years I taught, and as recently, I guess, is about four years ago, three years ago, um, my class ratio was different from that. Okay. I've always had equal, if not more, um, female students. Okay. Uh, what I find so disappointing, though, is the ratio. That ratio is not represented in um, women handing up their own studios. Oh. Right. You know, so it's um, at least not in the Bay Area. I don't know. You know, I, I know over here. Um, I think it's it's our job. It's all of our, our jobs to... Um, bring young, talented women um, to make them visible, to give them visibility. And I often tell, tell my female students, you know, you go and do some speaking engagements, you know, write, you know, write, you know, respond to an editorial, write about design, speak about design. And it, it's putting yourself out there. It's not only the visual, that's part of it. It's all, all three of those things need to happen. And, nothing's really easy. (laughs) It's not. And it's, it's, you know, it's scary getting up in front of audience and talking. It's scary, maybe even getting up into a class and talking, but it's those sort of um, that skill set that you start to develop that really can put yourself out there and makes you more visible. Now that's what I think as a profession is our responsibility to dig deeper and find sort of unsung heroes. I'm going to just, you know, just know that we need to explore that further. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I do think that, that, you know, there are a lot of female designers out there. I do think that the design um, 
landscape has changed in terms mm-hmm. of the working environments have changed and the, um, I mean, I feel super lucky in a way that, you know, I came to a city that, you know, in, embraced design at the time that um, was, was, you know, it was just a great time to, to be there. I think it's, I think there's more challenges now for sure. Yeah. I'm seeing some connections that I want to actually ask you about. Um, earlier on, you talked about how, um, how your father reacted to you going uh, and pursuing your, your passion for art and design. Uh, and you mentioned that if you were a boy, that perhaps that wouldn't have been uh, mm-hmm. so smooth. He may have moved you more into architecture or something that was more breadwinning um, uh-huh. as a male head of household kind of, kind of thing. Right. Um, and Mandy and I've been talking with a lot of people and we asked this question about the, the representation of, of male to female students in the classroom. And majority uh, say that it's a, definitely a, a higher majority of women. Some say about 70%, others say about 80%. Um, today, you're talking a little bit more about how that's a little bit different for you in the Bay Area. Um, and it's more, and it's more women. even. More, more women, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering how much um society or uh, I'll call them our little sub societies in our little nucleus of cities and how each city has its own culture within I I bet you that plays a big role in how that can change Mandy and I both are teaching in um very I'll call them rural states Oklahoma City is not that rural uh <laughs> Little Rock Arkansas is not that rural um where I am, though, in our university, it's it's 30 minutes outside of Little Rock. So it definitely has more of a, a, a rural setting. Um, and I don't see that many men. I think my graphics one class last spring had one male student mm-hmm. in it. And I just wonder if it's, you know, expectation of the the local society, the local culture that, you know, going into a, an art and design career isn't what's expected of the of the male uh, I, 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 I would I think that that could be I think that perhaps it's also sort of a language difference meaning that um, graphic designing we could get into the whole you know conversations whether even the title graphic design is relevant yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, nowadays um, in the 21st century whether it was even relevant back when, when we were I mean I I embrace the, you know, the, the term graphic designer, but the definition I give is not necessarily as graphic designers. You know, we, 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 we create environments. We, we do films and videos. We, we, um, we do patterns and textiles and all those things are all part of being a graphic designer. <laughs> but if I, if I'm talking to a lay person, I really, you know, they, they think actually they don't know what to think when you say right. that. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, being a designer is broader. Um, and I think that it's, 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 it's a good name, but I think that we need to, um, and I think that part of the challenge that you're, um, experiencing, um, is with that, with, with that title in a way, you know, I think that there, I don't know, it's, I think it's harder to be a designer now. I think that there's a lure of, um, and this is very true in the Bay Area, you know, between the Facebooks and the, you know, the Googles, and you know, the whole, um, you know, South Bay, Silicon Valley. I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of high paying jobs out there for students who are talented coming out of school. And I think a lot of times it's just their soul crushing, though, you know, like, right. very true, you know, so it's um, it's a it's it's hard to navigate that path now, for sure. Right. Right. Hey, have have uh, you noticed many of your students having role models? Do they look to you as a role model? Um, I some I think some do. Um, I don't think that, that they go. <laughs> let me put it this way: I don't think they ever take my class thinking that there's a role model there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think maybe by the end they either hate me or love me. It's one of the. <laughs> <laughs> I have that same. It's always on my side. In that <laughs> I'm happy yeah. with about three or four of them with the love, and we're not sure about the rest. Yeah. But they come out. They they come out. They come out. I, I hopefully a better designer. Right. Right. Class. Yeah. A lot of students are, you know, 
just know the name when they look to see the that line on the the um their schedule you know who the professor is jennifer morla okay and then you know after a little bit of time they're like jennifer morla right (laughs) well you know i have to say every student should look up prior to taking any class like who their professors are like just get to know like okay what reference you know what 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 am i going you know what is their what is their point of reference i mean it's that's basic like an easy google search there you know yeah i mean we all have portfolios so it's you know, and it's not an ego-driven thing at all. It's more right. that that's, you know, that's what you should be doing before you look for any job or any client or anything. That's how you're going to, you know, that's, that's research 101 there. Yes, um, but I, I, I will. You would Yes, that, that 10 times, yeah. <laughs> I do know that um, when I visit, I mean, I did have, I didn't realize there were role models, let's put it this way. I didn't have mentors and I didn't realize I had role models, but in hindsight, I realized I did. Okay, and, yeah, I was going to ask uh, who your role models were. Yeah, it's um, when I moved, what, actually when I first visited San Francisco in 76, I went, there were not that many design studios around. And um, I went to one, um, Margaret Larson. And Margaret Larson was a legendary designer. I didn't know that much about, but I did, did my research and realized, oh my God, she did this amazing signage for the cannery and Gearbelly Square by the waterfront and amazing identities and wonderful packaging, really iconic packaging, retail packaging, and just was um, a luminary. And um, she was sort of winding down in her career. She just had uh, one one assistant working with her, but she gave me, you know, three hours of her time. And we just, you know, she was just amazing. I mean, amazing. Um, I also had the very great opportunity to um, talk with Ray Eames for about a half hour one day um, in about 1980. And it was, that was another, you know, like Charles and Ray Eames, you know, it was just like, I was actually, that was another part of my upbringing. Once again, being from Manhattan, when the world's fair came to Manhattan, um, when I was there, I think it was 64 and 65. And I went to that IBM pavilion, Charles and Ray Eames from, you know, whoever. And I was so enamored with that interactive experience that was surrounding me, it was, you know, once again, there it was. Design was influencing me, realizing that I could learn, you know, these complicated sort of uh, 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 concepts that they were throwing out there through design that made it accessible. Design, you know, makes concepts accessible. And um, I got to talk to Ray about that. And it was just, it was, it was, it was really, really special. Um, a few years later, um, I met Massimo and Layla Vanelli, and Layla was just, they were both such wonderful people and just, you know, beyond, you know, just really can't even express the, the talent. And mm-hmm. just that there was, there were these women, you know, there was a, a, a few years later, I headed up a design lecture series and, and Andre Putman was one of them. And I spent like a went out to dinner one night and just spent, you know, the whole evening with her. These are immensely talented women that in hindsight, I realized, yes, because they were there, they were there and doing and making <laughs> mm-hmm. that gave me that um, confidence or you, not even confidence. You just even don't even realize that they're just there <laughs> right, and right. people doing what they love doing and they're doing it really well. So Thank that you. was You've mentioned a couple of, uh, I'm going to say, big names, uh, designers from graphic design history and design history with uh, with Ray Eames. Um, how can you talk a little bit about the importance of of women being represented in graphic design history? Oh, I think it's it's super important. Um, I think that those writing our collective history, um, you know, really need to research more thoroughly. Um, those women that have been a part of the design landscape for you know for a century and just have not been exposed. I mean, I think actually in the past few years, couple of years, there's been a much better, um, and maybe it's also because because of of, of, of more access to media and, and information, but um, you know, really scratching, the, going deeper than just scratching the surface and seeing right. who these women were. Um, Alice Rothorn, amazing. You know, she just as you should, 
your student should absolutely be following her on you know Instagram or Facebook. Um, she really does a great job of doing uh, you know two or three paragraphs on you know the women that many people may not have heard of before. And as we know, women have been a part of design history for those hundreds of years. They just have not been the visible part. They right. well, their work's been very visible, but their name. <laughs> So, um, you know, that's that's part of, I think, our obligation to, to, to have that. As for, you know, women, um, I think that, that, you know, yeah, women need to be, be, be represented, you know, in, in, in our history for sure. And I think they need, they need to be represented in many different places. They need to be represented in the media a lot more. Right. I know that... Um, uh, I know that even like when 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 I do my work, I mean, if if there's an opportunity um, to uh, you know have some sort of um, uh, person, or that there needs to be a certain humanity in a piece that I'm doing, I instinctively put a woman in there. I mean, I sort of I instinctively put Frida Kahlo in, in in that piece, not because oh I'm going to put a woman in this piece, it's because that is who I, 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 that's who I am. I mean, you know, you, you just see it. And it's just important to have women seeing other women, just like it's important to have anybody seeing themselves represented out there. Right. Um, in, the most, in the most, what you would think the most, you know, um, uh, everyday sort of everyday things. Um, it's, it's, it's just important. And, and even through your, um, from nine years old till today, you know, you've been, inspired, influenced, witnessed, and seen a lot of women in design. Uh, and that's a big part of, of, of yourself and who mm -hmm. you become. And so my question is through that experience and seeing that throughout the years, have you ever um, experienced gender disparity in design? Uh, whether it's you personally or seeing others go through that? I don't know. Maybe I've just been blind or maybe I just ignored small affronts and, you know, I, I just didn't let them get in my way. Um, but I can honestly say that I've been blessed in having my career flourish in a place that supported, you know, designers. And I don't think that any client has ever hired me because I'm a woman designer. I think they've hired me because I'm a designer. So I, I don't want to say that exists. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that that exists. No, no ifs, ands, or buts, but either I put myself in situations where that didn't seem to uh, manifest itself. I'm in a San Francisco. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, a dynamic and a makeup of a, a liberal population here that maybe I'm not saying that that's um, uh, at all um, a, a uh, guarantee mm -hmm, of right. not being discriminated against in any way, but I don't know. I just either didn't, didn't make them into problems. And I just you know, sort of kept my eye on the prize. To tell well, you quite honestly. well, you said earlier, you've seen a lot of women like on the production floor, but you mm -hmm. also said you haven't seen a lot of women graduate and be entrepreneurs or start their own design um, agencies. Do you think that's due to the disparity? Is that, is it just harder to I, compete? I think I it's, know. I think it's a few things. I think yeah. it's, um, I think it's hard doing anything well. Let's start with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I, not by design, but I have two. I'm married. I have two two girls that are now grown 23 and 25 years old. Um, at the time I had them, I was 39 and 40. So um, I had enough of my career. My office was able to really work well. Actually, that's when I had about 18 people working for me, work well without sort of, well, actually, it was also the time, this was 95, where we could start doing, we could pass disks back and forth and we could, you know, you know, I could be, you know, in my computer at home and there was an ability to have a shared uh, design dialogue with the office while I was being, you know, nursing my children. So um, I do think that that parenthood, you know, gets in the way and, and daycare, I mean, I'm I'm so lucky, you know, that I was able to, um, uh, you know, have my husband who was able to have, he, he's an architect, he has his um, own small office, he was able to be a great dad and there and present, um, you know, it was, 
it was, I was, I was, I was just very lucky. Now that said, I don't think that, I don't think that our government or system supports women having children in any way, shape or form. That is a big detriment to why you're not seeing women have their own design firm, you know, all the way through, or even within the workplace, you know, within, within, within the larger corporate sector of design. I think that's, it's, it's difficult, you know, to, to, to have that unless if you have the money and the financial resources to have daycare, you know, and that's these, these sound like, you know, these are fundamental problems that affect who we are as designers so, and how, how, how much we can get ourselves right. out there. I think part of it is, as I said, you know, getting your voice heard, getting your, 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 your work shown, um, uh, figuring out how to navigate, you know, sort of the corporate structure and trying to, you know, create liaisons and working with mentors and having influencers as a part of your life. But really you have to, I think, systemically we have some issues in terms of how to really um, elevate uh, women, women in any profession, really. Right. Mm-hmm. I have, I know a lot of female academics who felt that they had to choose between having a family or having their, their c- career. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. My wife had to make that choice as well. Um, mm-hmm. She was looking at a career into um, being a personal trainer uh, mm-hmm. and getting her certifications and everything like that. And it was, um, it was difficult. We looked at the, the daycare option and the cost of daycare. Just it so was, expensive. Oh, it was. It's, it's astronomical. Horrible. And yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, it's unfair and it's wrong. So um, I, I, that's this disparity we see between male and female in the, you know, the design, you know, profession is part and parcel to what that, that problem is. Right. Yeah. So I want to ask you this question. I, we, we ask, um, we've pretty much asked everyone we've interviewed this question. Uh, we consider you part of our target audience for the documentary film. Um, so we want to know what would you like to see in a documentary film about female graphic designers and how they're represented in history? Um, well, I, what would I like to see? Um, I, well, first of all, I hope it's a feature length film <laughs> or a television yeah. series, because I think there's a lot of content there. There's just a lot. And it would just be amazing to, to, to have it, um, to have that breadth of a conversation really about who these women were sort of throughout the course of history. I have to say, I do bristle a bit about, any, any profession being labeled, you know, a female, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know? And um, I guess I would even have an issue if it was like female graphic designers, because, you know, of course, I know many of my contemporaries that would also feel like, oh, having a gender attached to our work when we've never attached a gender to our work. <laughs> so that feels a little odd, um, but... I mean, I really sort of wish that the title was designers and then, you know, let, you know, as, as, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you know, like, uh, like, you know, what would you feel when there's, you know, the, the Supreme Court's all, all female? You said, like, uh, it's been, you know, like, <laughs> why, why do we even have to bring that up? It's, it, it should right. be all female the way it should be all male. It doesn't make a difference. You know, there we are. We should have, it, it should not even be a part of the conversation. Unfortunately, I think that, what you're going to now, fortunately, what I think you're going to be doing um, is exposing once again and be uh, these women throughout history and having them be um, influencers to a younger generation. And they realize that women have been a part of design history, you know, for 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 decades. So, you yeah. know, thank you for that. <laughs> well, we're we're trying, and there's a few things you mentioned that's already um, you know challenges that that we've had to think about. Like we definitely want to have that full feature length. We are hoping to keep it about an hour and 20 minutes. That way it still fits in a design history course uh, timeline. Um, But there has been the discussion of like, well, are there subset um, parts that have become part of a series, you know, that go a little bit deeper into different categories or different topics. Um, And then to your point, you know, 
it's it's sad that we even have to call it redesigning her story okay. women in graphic design in America you know so it's yeah it's unfortunate you know and those are just some of the things that really kind of make it difficult is there anything else that you would would say that's um, um, things to keep in mind to watch out for that could be potential hurdles or criticisms that was that was actually the biggest one I think is just sort yeah. of you know and also that that by having sort of the female uh, title you know attached to the title is that in a way it would be this is this is wrong in every way but I fear it might be alienating to males I mean it's like okay well that's not my history mm-hmm Right. You know, that's why it's our history. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, you know, that, and yet by you sort of taking this approach, it is what makes that our history. So it's, it's a, it's really, you know, a conundrum, you know, in a way. Right. Oh, right. And, and I feel that exactly what you're saying in many other areas that are under discussion as well. Right. And I, I've even pondered the thought of having some male perspectives kind of interjected into the discussion throughout the film still stuff we're working working through but just to get a little bit of um you know maybe it is the spouse of of one of the women and kind of tells a little bit of the story from their perspective maybe it's an opportunity to talk with Stephen Heller or Roger Remington and have them give a little bit of their historical mm-hmm. input on things but definitely some things that I'm thinking about yeah, I mean, I guess I think it would just be so interesting just to call, you know, graphic design history. And then as people watch, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's all women. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that, too. It's like, oh, what is this, a film all about women designers? Right, uh-huh. right. Oh, but yeah. it's a film about all men designers. Yeah. Right, right. You know, yeah. so that's I, I sympathize with you. It's, 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 you know, and I, and I celebrate that you're doing this. So. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate both thank of those. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, before we let you go, I always uh, ask my guests to leave some words of wisdom for students, for professionals, young designers, even non-designers. But if you had some words of wisdom to leave uh, the audience with, what would that be? Um. Well, that design does not live in an aesthetic va- uh, vacuum. Uh, design is influenced by and it influences contemporary society. And just realize the power that design has. That's perfect. Yeah, concise and to the point. I, that's great. I love it. I had a blast. And of course, I have all my designisms in the book. <laughs> yes, that's right. Hey, if, if people want to find out more information, mm-hmm. where can they... Uh, reach out. So I know that you have your website, right? You can find it on the website and just uh, go ahead and click that link, morelidesign.com and you'll see the book come up as one of the as one of the things. Also, a great thing for your students to know about, and they're the publishers of my book, is Letterform Archive. Oh, it yes. is, you are, you will be in for such a treat. They are, um, they are the largest archive of graphic design ephemera, I think, in, in the world at this point. And if you ever come to San Francisco, you have the opportunity actually to go to the archive. You say what you want, you know, what era, whatever. I want to see, um, you know, the NASA logo uh, manual or you want to see um, uh, uh, Kurt Schwitters, you know, or you want to see or the, the Gutenberg Bible. They have everything they take out and you get to touch it and look at it and go through it. it oh, is I didn't know that. Amazing. Wow. So Letter Form Archive is the publisher of my book, and that's letterformarchive.org. Um, and they, um, I really, they, they just have a fantastic collection, and it's a great resource for, for, um, for any student, an invaluable resource, honestly. And, um, and yeah, if you just want to hear more about my approach to design, that's where you can get the book also. Excellent. Wonderful. Any social media um, areas that they can find you? Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram, more, uh, you know, hashtag Morla Design and, um, and Facebook, same thing, MorlaDesign.com. Fantastic. And I look forward to hearing from everybody too. So yeah, thank it, you so much. Well, we look forward to getting on the road eventually. 
eventually yeah. and getting out and doing the filming aspect uh, for the film. So it'll be awesome to get out to the West Coast and, yeah, and I know. visit. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, these are such hard times, really. Right. Just, they are. I know my, my daughter actually, uh, my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter uh, works for NBC Universal in New York. And it's just like, they were actually told, this is sort of aside from our, taping this conversation, but that, you know, they were not, they're not, she works at 30 Rockefeller Center and they're not allowed to go back into the office for anything for a year and a half. Oh, wow. 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 It's yeah, just like, sister, yeah, go ahead. I, my sister works in Chicago and she works for uh, Water, Price Waterhouse, big ca- accounting. Yeah, and yeah. They, they're not allowed to go in until I think next January or something like that. So, you know, in production, I mean, really, you know, production has really suffered, you know. Right. You know, producing any sort of live action is, 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 is tough. So, you know, good luck and, you know, very much look forward to seeing you out here when you come. Yes, same. <laughs> it's been a wonderful conversation and, and I can't wait to actually be able to leave my neighborhood. Um, I'm just <laughs> glad I can leave my house. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks for a great conversation. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore dedux on Facebook as Design Dedux Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Dedux for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore dedux. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode. 